it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Monday, April 25th, 2022. It's a brand new broadcast week. Here on the Guy Benson Show, I'm your host, Guy Benson. Thank you so much for tuning in every weekday from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Also available around the clock on demand for free on our podcast, GuyBensonShow.com is our website, GuyBensonShow.com. We are broadcasting live from Del Rio, Texas. We are at Base Camp Alpha, attached to Operation Lone Star, which is the state of Texas's effort to try to stem the tide as best they can of this border crisis the Biden administration's border crisis. Texas has stepped up to the plate, and we are here embedded with this operation on the ground. And it has been already, I'd say, extremely revealing. It has allowed me to see and understand things better on a subject that we cover quite a lot on the show. And we have a lot more still to come. We are in Del Rio, as I mentioned today. We are headed to McAllen later. We'll do the show from there tomorrow. And we have a very Texas-heavy show in store for you today. Governor Greg Abbott will be here later this hour. A one-on-one interview, a lot to ask him about, including some horrible breaking news related to the border crisis, the drowning death of a Texas National Guard soldier last week, has now been officially confirmed with the recovery of his body. Specialist Bishop Evans, 22 years old, went into the river trying to save people who were drowning, two migrants. He saved them, but he died. And according to the Texas Rangers, the people that he saved are accused drug traffickers. That young man should have never been in that position. Operation Lone Star should not have to exist, but it does because of the border crisis that has been caused directly by failed federal policies. That's why we're here, and we're seeing it firsthand. Governor Abbott reacting later this hour. Also this hour, Matt Finn, our colleague here at Fox News, he will join us from Lviv, Ukraine. He has the very latest there, a very mysterious fire at a logistical center, a hub for the Russian military. What's going on there? Matt Finn will bring us up to speed on that, plus give us some of the news coming out of the visit to Ukraine from the U.S. Secretaries of State and Defense. They were just a while ago with President Zelensky. In the next hour, Colonel Patrick Nolan will be my guest here on the program. He is the Southwest Border Operations Chief of Staff overseeing Operation Lone Star. So I will ask him about some of the nuts and bolts of this mammoth effort that just ramped up sort of mid to late last year when the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, and the whole team here just said, we can't continue 
along with the status quo. This is getting far too out of hand. The feds aren't going to do what is necessary because of policies from the very top. And so they have ramped up this whole program. And this is one of the commanders over the entire operation. He will be here in the next hour. My colleague, Katie Pavlich of townhall.com and of Fox News, of course, she is on this trip with me. It's a reporting trip for Town Hall. She is here, and we will get her thoughts on some of what we have already seen, and I will actually share some insights on that here in just a moment. But Katie's perspective coming up later in the program. And also in our final hour today, U.S. Senator Ted Cruz, Republican of Texas. He will be here on that issue, everything happening at the border. And also another breaking news story, and let's bring you a Fox News alert as we come on the air here. It is now being widely reported that Twitter has accepted the offer from Elon Musk in the ballpark of $44 billion to buy that social media platform. The rumors grew louder and louder, and there was a piece in the Wall Street Journal suggesting that the deal might be truly on the brink of going through. I am still skeptical enough to just say, let's wait until all the paperwork is actually done and cleared before, if you want to celebrate, you can celebrate. If you want to freak out, you can freak out. And there's a whole lot of freaking out going on, especially among people who I will admit it's sort of fun to watch them freak out. We'll see how many people pledge to quit Twitter and then don't, even if Elon Musk becomes the leader of the company and takes it private. It's sort of like, and I'm not the first person who've, who's made this point. It's like when people always say they're going to move to Canada when a Republican wins the presidency, then they don't, right? They have sort of this uh, little tantrum, and then they move on. But uh, this would be something of an earthquake in the world of big tech. And while I am under no illusions that Elon Musk will usher in a brand-new era of perfection and free speech and even-handedness for everyone, I do think that that is an industry that needs to be disrupted. I think that there are some, some big problems at Twitter in terms of their fairness and their policies. And there could be some welcome changes on the way. But that's the report that Twitter has accepted the offer from Elon Musk, $44 billion. Wow, that moved very quickly, didn't it? So that's something we'll be following, I'm sure, for the next couple of days here on The Guy Benson Show. I want to share with you as we get going... Just sort of a vignette from last night. So Katie and our other colleague at townhall.com, Julio Rosas, and I all landed on the same connecting flight into Del Rio, tiny little airport down here, right on the southern border. And our friends with the state of Texas picked us up, and it's been this joint effort from the military, the National Guard, here in Texas. And by the way, this Base Camp Alpha, this is a military installment The flags are at half-staff here in honor and in mourning over the life of Specialist Evans, who I mentioned a moment ago. They lost one of their own here. America lost one of her own here. That was just down the road in Eagle Pass. It's where the Republican congressional delegation happens to be today, this afternoon, Kevin McCarthy and company over there. Just an incredibly sad story. You've got the Texas National Guard. Then you've got the Department of Public Safety, DPS. Highway Patrol, sort of the law enforcement side. They're working together on the Texas side of things to try to get some of this under control. 
Federal government, overwhelmed, Border Patrol, hugely demoralized. The federal policies are a debacle and about to get worse with Title 42 going away, as it's supposed to in just about a month. And so Texas, you know, has one hand tied behind its back. They aren't allowed to do a lot of things. They can't deport people, right? They can't be like, oh, you're you're caught, you're expelled. That's not within the authority, the realm of authority for a state under this system. What they can do is enforce Texas law. So what they're doing is they're capturing illegal immigrants who are trespassing on Texas property. And there's certain enhancements to some of the sentencing that they can at least attempt, and the charges that they can file. Dozens of counties along the border have declared a state of emergency on the border, which allows Texas on the state level to play ball, and the local prosecutors say, yep, we're on board with this. Some of the deep blue areas, like out in El Paso, they won't agree. So Operation Lone Star is not really operational in a place where there's no point, where the local Democratic officials don't want to participate. But it is very much in effect over most of the southern border in this state of Texas. And so we deployed last night on night ops with their elite brush teams. Right? So we get off the plane, get to the hotel check-in, change, and head out to this staging area where you've got law enforcement and military together sort of milling around. Then all of a sudden the leaders show up. They give some briefs, you know, like, here's what we're doing tonight. Here are the teams. Here's where folks are going. There was a voluntary prayer asking for safety because, look, these are dangerous operations. You never know what could go sideways, you know, from maybe a dangerous personnel to an accident to a snake. I mean, it's no joke down here, really. So there was a prayer, and then off we went. So I was with one group. And as I learned, I guess this is often true of these types of operations, there's a lot of hurry up and wait. So your adrenaline is like, all right, here we go. And then you show up at the first place and you wait. And then you move on to the next location where you're going to stand by and you wait. And there are guys with, I mean, full fatigues. They've got, you know, like night vision goggles ready to go. Huge guns. And then iPads and phones where they are getting pings about where some of the cameras have caught activity, movement. And sometimes like, okay, is that an animal? Is that a person? Is that a group of people? And then they will send teams off to go investigate. And it's like, you know, so much wide open nothing down here. So you've got these back roads pitch black, no one for the most part on the road, except for law enforcement and these teams. So I'm in the back seat of one of these trucks, these pickup trucks. We are hurtling down the highway. Because at one point after waiting for a long time, they said, all right, we're going to go investigate something, some movement. I don't think I've ever gone that fast in a car or vehicle, like a, a road-based vehicle ever. Later on, I asked the soldier who was driving on the way home, once we were sort of in the clear, I said, by the way, how fast were we going earlier? He said, yeah, probably 105. I said, oh, my gosh. And it felt every bit 105. I mean, every bump on the road, it's like you're in the back. It's like it was, it was definitely something of a rush and a little bit of a white-knuckle experience 
for your for yours truly, but this is every single night for them. Right? For me, I'm like, whoa, this is wild. For them, this is every single night. And last night we were out for a few hours with them, and it was quote unquote quiet. They only caught in their little area five migrants, all claiming to be from Honduras. And I posted on my Twitter account at Guy P. Benson some of the photos from that encounter where the military helps get them. And then the DPS guys come in with the handcuffs and the processing and all that, and they go off to a processing center. All Texas, right? This is not the feds. These are guys who've gotten past the feds. We were 30 miles or so inland, deeper into Texas, not right on the border last night. And they're called elite brush teams because in some cases these pursuits are just in thick brush on these ranches. And one of the things that was very interesting to me was the technology. I don't understand how they could have lived without some of this technology in years past. Obviously, they had to. They had other methods. But they would get to a, an approximate location. So you speed like a bat out of hell from point A to point B. And then you restage, and all these vehicles, like this column of trucks, stops off to the side of the road. And then they bring out these drones, these expensive High-performing drones. It was actually very high winds last night. It's like, can they even get the drones up? Yep, they did. Up goes the drone, and there's infrared technology, and they're sort of scouring the area. And then once they identify, okay, those look like people, they figure out what direction they're heading, and they find the best way to capture these people, not chasing them, but sort of ambush is probably the wrong word, but having the migrants basically come to them which is the smart way to do it. And so in our brief experience last night, several hours, we got back after midnight, there was that group of five that were captured. Then today, we wake up bright and early today, and we've got additional things on the agenda. We go to the river. So right now we, you know, last night we're inland. This morning we are on the river. We're, I mean, we're right there. We'll be literally on the river in McAllen tomorrow. We'll be on boats tomorrow. Today we're like right up against the river. There's some fencing. You can see where people take these cutters and cut the fence open. Texas has built 24 miles of serious chain link fencing just since July. Like we're seeing mile after mile of all this fencing. None of it existed last summer. But this is what they've had to do. They've had no choice. And a lot of the point of the fencing is to kind of like funnel some of these illegal immigrants to certain points where they can then be captured. So today we saw three more apprehensions. They were stopped or encountered by the National Guard, handed off to DPS, still, you know, the state guys, and then the state guys were driving these migrants, these illegal aliens, to Border Patrol. So those will count in the stats as you know, border encounters. The ones caught further inland and prosecuted under Texas, they don't necessarily go into those stats until they're at some point released in the future. So there's like a a lagging indicator there on some of that data. And I, I think what really sticks out to me is the frustration of Texas doing everything they possibly can, being dragged through the mud for doing it in a lot of cases, And to what end? I mean, they have to do something, obviously. The people of Texas are footing this bill. 
the feds are falling down on the job deliberately at the very top. And it's just like this never-ending, this endless churn and cycle over and over again, day after day after day. And it's just, it's frustrating, it's angering. When you see an American soldier die, for example, how can that not make you angry? And it's also just sad. There's so much sadness here. Even with some compassion for some of these migrants, there's just a lot of sadness here. And if you don't believe this is a crisis, just you wait. It's going to get worse, but it is. And I'm seeing it with my own two eyes. And we're just getting started here on the Guy Benson Show. So much to get to, including Governor Greg Abbott later this hour, Senator Ted Cruz coming up later. It is the Guy Benson Show. Stay tuned. Guy Benson will be right back. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. I'm Guy Benson in Del Rio, Texas. And a Fox News alert here, just an update on something that we talked about last segment. The press release is now out. Elon Musk to acquire Twitter being reported that the board of directors at Twitter voted unanimously to approve the sale, but there are still some regulatory bodies that have to oversee this, so it's not done yet, but it could be official and, like, done, done for real sometime this year. So that's the very latest on that front. One other quick addendum to the story I was telling last segment about being out there with these elite brush teams in Operation Lone Star last night. The drones are, you know, buzzing way up in the sky, scanning, and sometimes you sort of lose depth perception. You can't tell if something's moving, like how large that something is. It's just sort of like this white blob on the screen. And there was, it looked like, maybe a person getting close to the road just maybe, you know, 500 yards up ahead. And they were getting closer and closer to the road. And they were like, all right, hop in one of the trucks and the DPS van goes flying down the road to intercept potentially an illegal immigrant and the rest of us are still waiting there looking at the drone footage and then it crackles over the radio uh it's an armadillo (laughs) how's that for a texas story so not perfect technology obviously fascinating stuff in dangerous times though down here at the border it's the guy benson show from the border out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. From Del Rio, Texas, and Base Camp Alpha, embedded with Operation Lone Star, it is the Guy Benson Show on this Monday. I'm Guy Benson. Thank you very much for listening. GuyBensonShow.com. That's our website. Podcast is always free. And joining us now in a Guy Benson Show exclusive is the governor 
of the great state of Texas, Greg Abbott, a Republican. Governor, welcome back to the show. Thanks for doing this. Great. It's great to be back. Welcome to Texas. It's great to be back in Texas, although clearly a very somber day here, especially with the Texas National Guard, as the body of Specialist Bishop Evans has been found. That was confirmed earlier today. I know you put out a statement a few hours ago, Governor, uh, just an extremely sad development in this broader context of this border crisis that you're trying to do something about down here in the Lone Star State. Just your reaction to today's news. Well, listen, obviously it's a tragedy, uh, and it, it, but, but it demonstrates the, the sense of heroism, the sense of valor uh, that the, these National Guard members have. Uh, they are willing to put their lives on the line even when it looks like somebody else is losing their life, and they knowingly put themselves in danger uh, to try to save somebody else's life, and that's exactly uh, what this National Guard soldier did. And so I consider him to be both a Texas and American hero. Uh, at, at, at the same time, it's a travesty uh, that we as a state uh, have to deploy National Guard as well as Texas Department of Public Safety officers to the border, and we have to do so uh, because of the Biden administration's mishandling uh, of border security. Uh, as you know, as your, as your listeners need to know, uh, there is an inadequate number of Border Patrol officers on the border. Uh, ICE uh, has been basically decimated by the Biden administration. Uh, of the Border Patrol members who were down there, uh, they don't really get to, quote, patrol the border uh, like they're supposed to be doing because they're doing paper processing work for all these people uh, that uh, are uh, arriving across the border. And so basically Border Patrol officers have been reduced to paper pushers. Uh, and is Texas is, is having to stand up uh, and put soldiers on the border uh, to secure the border as much as we possibly can. Governor, I know some of the officials in this state said that the migrants who seem to be drowning, who were in fact saved by Specialist Evans as he lost his own life, uh, they've said that those migrants are believed to be drug smugglers. Can you confirm that? That's what I was told by the director of the Texas Department of Public Safety. Uh, it's also my understanding uh, that they have been arrested. Uh, and bo- bottom line is, uh, if they were drug smugglers, uh, they, uh, they either have been or will be arrested, and they're going to be prosecuted. Uh, and so it, it, it shows something that the, the public needs to understand, and that is the people who are coming across the border, uh, they are not the, the benign migrant worker who wants to come uh, work in the agricultural fields uh, just coming from Mexico. We've got people coming from more than 150 different countries across the globe. Uh, everyone or almost everyone uh, getting across the border uh, with the assistance uh, of the drug cartels, uh, and, and many of whom are carrying drugs uh, like these individuals uh, that the National Guard member was trying to save. Uh, and so it's an extraordinary problem. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't want to prolong this answer too long, Guy, but the, the, the fact of the matter is, Many of the drugs coming across the border are these fentanyl drugs that are deadly mm-hmm. dangerous and they're killing people across the country. In Harris County, which is where Houston is located, uh, there's been reported uh, at least one person dying per day uh, because of fentanyl uh, that's made in China and uh, imported uh, illegally across the border from Mexico. And so this is extraordinarily dangerous what the cartels are doing uh, along our border with regard to importing uh, deadly drugs like fentanyl into the United States. And you made reference to this just a moment ago in our conversation. Specialist Evans 
really shouldn't have had to have been at the border deployed as part of Operation Lone Star. Operation Lone Star shouldn't have to exist at all. The federal government should be doing its job in a way that they are not. So he was put in this position by those failures. Is it too harsh to say that the Biden administration at least shoulders some responsibility for this young man's death? 100 percent correct. So uh, Texas is is coming out of pocket from our taxpayers, uh, almost $4 billion to pay for things like uh, Operation Lone Star, to pay for the National Guard who are on the border, to pay for the DPS officers on the border, to pay for the the border wall uh, that that Texas is building, uh, to pay for the the boat blockades we're putting up. And uh, maybe where you're located, you're seeing some of the razor wire that we put mile to mile. I saw that today. Yeah, and, and so when, when 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 people come across the border and they make it all the way to our border and they reach that razor wire, they realize they can't get through that, and so they have to go upstream to a different location uh, where they can be um, more easily apprehended, uh, and we can better control the border that way. Uh, but all these different things we're doing are a direct consequence of the Biden administration's failures. I mean, there's an easy way to fully explain this, and, and that is we we didn't have to do this. Uh, under the Trump administration because the Trump Trump administration put four policies into place that led to the lowest border crossings we've had in decades, and that was Title 42, the remaining Mexico policy, the end of catch and release, and the building the border wall, as well as sending the messaging uh, not to come across the border. Uh, Well, Joe Biden came in, and he eliminated all of those things uh, that President Trump had done, uh, and immediately he sent a message to the entire world that the, the border of the United States is open, and guess what? Uh, the, the world heard it, uh, and the world responded uh, by coming to our southern border. All of this yeah, and the, is a and direct con- consequence of the Biden administration opening up our borders. And the last piece of that puzzle of those big four that you mentioned is Title 42. That's the last one still in place, and it's sort of being slowly phased out already. And they're saying it's going to be gone as of May 23rd. That's you know less than a month from right now. We were down by the river, by that razor wire that you were talking about. And one of the commanders told us, you know, he, he raised it on his own. He said, since the Title 42 announcement that they were going to get rid of that policy, he has noticed a clear increase in the traffic coming across. He said, this information absolutely sort of seeps into Mexico and then down into Central America. The word gets out that it's going to be easier to come and easier certainly to stay once Title 42 is gone. And even a lot of Democrats, I think, are now panicking about the political implications of this. They're saying, you know, hold off, maybe maybe this shouldn't happen, this change. But someone who doesn't believe that, Governor, is your opponent in this gubernatorial election coming up in Texas in November. Beto O'Rourke was just on MSNBC the other day in an interview with Jonathan Capehart This was Beto O'Rourke on this very issue. Cut 20. Listen to this. You don't think it's a good idea for the Biden administration to end Title 42. Why? No, I I think it's time to end Title 42. I don't think we should have ever implemented it. It's a very cynical reading of U.S. law. So Beto O'Rourke, your opponent, who wants to be the governor of this state, believes that not only is it now time to get rid of Title 42, he agrees with Biden on that. He disagrees with some of these Democrats who are saying, well, let's hold up here. He went further than that, Governor. He said that Title 42, even during the teeth of the pandemic, this public health tool should never 
have been implemented in the first place, it is it is difficult to envision or imagine a more reckless or radical position on immigration than what Better O'Rourke just said on MSNBC. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, that, that segment that he had on MSNBC, uh, the people in Texas are going to hear a lot of that in TV commercials uh, in the days to come because uh, the people of Texas, their number one issue is to secure the border, stop the illegal immigration, and they're going to know fully uh, not just what uh, Beto said on that clip that you played there, but also what Beto said when he ran for the president of the United States. Beto stands for open borders. Uh, Beto would have implemented the exact same open border policies that Joe Biden is implementing. Uh, there, there is no distance between Joe Biden and Beto O'Rourke with regard to these open border policies. And let me tell you, you guys, something that I think is going to result from this. Uh, not only are, are Texans going to be uh, angry about uh, Beto's position on the open border policy, Hispanics in particular, especially those uh, who live on the border, they are tired of their communities being overrun uh, by these open border policies. And we have a good chance this election uh, for Republicans to win not only uh, counties along the border, uh, but also win a majority of the Hispanic vote in the state of Texas. Hispanics are for safe communities, not open border policies that lead to unsafe communities. Governor Abbott, I want to ask you this. We have about two minutes left, and we're going to talk to Colonel Nolan about some of this in more detail later in the show. But a few months back now, there was a Wall Street Journal story that was blowing the whistle. There are a few other reports as well about Operation Lone Star, and there were allegations about you know, pay issues and quality of life issues, the housing for people who were down here, uh, you know, some mismanagement and, and logistical failures or struggles. Were those fair criticisms, and have they been dealt with? Have you been able to turn around some of these issues, Governor? First, uh, it's just factual that the criticisms uh, were overblown because were there some pay issues? Yes, but they were extremely small in number. Uh, and there was a reason for it. The reason for it, let's go back to at the time when uh, you remember when you saw all those Haitians coming across the border. Uh, right, we, right we here needed, in Del Rio. Yeah, we, we needed to gear up and have a, a mass influx of Border Patrol immediately. And, and this was in addition to the fact that there were uh, caravans that were scheduled to come our way. We didn't have the, the, the luxury of time to get uh, organized the way you typically would uh, to, uh, and have a slow rollout uh, of the number of National Guard deployed. So I, I said that we cannot have uh, another Haitian crisis like that ever occur again. We cannot allow these caravans coming to the state of Texas uh, to, to cross uh, that border and come into the state of Texas. And so there had to be an extraordinarily quick deployment that, that led to uh, uh, let's say, a less efficient rollout than what you would typically see. Now, that, yeah, that no, and, and look, th- I get that, and things happen, right? And, and it was such a massive, immediate ramp-up. There are going to be problems, and some of the problems were aired very publicly. And you know, I've been talking to people down here. They say that they're working very hard to get those things straightened out. But meanwhile, you're almost like the only game in town because the feds are nowhere to be seen uh, at the direction from the very top, which is really the problem. Governor Greg Abbott of Texas, sir, thank you so much for your time. We'll be right back. Back on the Big Einstein Show, joining us now is Fox News correspondent Matt Finn, who is on the ground in Lviv, Ukraine. Matt, welcome back to the show on this Monday. Thanks for having me, Guy. 
Can you give us the latest out of this meeting between President Zelensky and the U.S. Secretary of State and Defense? I know that wrapped a little while ago. What news came out of that? Well, the news there is that um, President Biden is expected to nominate the current ambassador to Slovakia as the new ambassador to Ukraine. Um, Also, the American uh, Secretary of State and Secretary of uh, Defense really uh, emphasizing their stalwart support for Ukraine, you know, talking and discussing uh, the billion-plus dollars that uh, the United States of America has promised uh, to Ukraine. Uh, Our Jennifer Griffin was traveling with the Secretary of State. Uh, She says that she witnessed uh, up close and personal some of the uh, heavy artillery uh, and some of the um, weaponry that is being shipped here to Ukraine. So in all, you know, the the visit here, uh, they were the highest um, American officials to visit this country since this war started about two months ago. Uh, The visit really underlined America's support for this country. Guy. And it looks like there's more supplies coming on the military side. Also, a renewed diplomatic effort. The reopening of the embassy in Kiev is expected, right? Yes, that's correct. Um, American diplomats are expected to start coming back to this country of Ukraine, uh, traveling through Lviv, where I am at right now. And our embassy is expected to open sometime soon. Meanwhile, the Russians have bombed additional train stations. I was seeing some of those images over the weekend And then there's this very mysterious fire explosion in Bryansk, which is the logistics hub for the Russian war machine for this war against Ukraine. I know that you've been sharing some of those visuals on your Twitter feed. There's a lot of speculation out there about what happened. Was this a Ukrainian, a successful Ukrainian attack on key logistics for the Russians? What happened? Are you hearing anything or is it all just conjecture at this time? It really is conjecture, as you know, so much of this war is. Authorities in Russia do confirm that massive fire at that oil storage facility uh, not far from the Ukrainian border. No confirmation of what caused it, but last week Russia accused Ukraine of bombing several other buildings in that area. Uh, And as you and I know, um, there is also speculation that perhaps this was an inside job, that Russia is perhaps going to use this as a reason to uh, launch a massive strike against Ukraine in the coming days. All right. Like, could they have done it to themselves as a pretext? I mean, there's a lot of theories out there. Another source of speculation, and Matt, I can not put you on the spot, but it is being discussed widely whether or not Vladimir Putin himself is quite ill, right? People really uh, combing over footage of the Russian leader sitting at a table and gripping a table and a strange thing that happened at a church or didn't happen at a church over the Orthodox Easter. What can you tell us about that? And then relatedly, some of your photos that you've shared and stories of people trying to celebrate Easter in that country amid all the wreckage and all the heartbreak and all the death. uh, It was pretty inspiring to see that level of you know, resilience among a lot of these Ukrainians who are still celebrating a high holy day despite the horror all around them. Yep. Well, first of all, on Putin, there are videos circulating, one in particular where he is sitting uh, at a meeting and he is gripping the, the table that he's sitting at for quite some time. And one of his 
uh, feet kind of continues to move almost like involuntarily. And if you look at his face, uh, you know, people are saying that it looks swollen and that he looks like he was almost ready to puke. Uh, There's also another video that um, shows him briefly walking and seems like he's moving kind of involuntarily, his body almost kind of jerking. So a lot of speculation out there that he looks much different and is physically acting much different right now than he was even a few weeks ago. And yet here in Lviv, the far western portion of this country, there is a very strong belief in God. Uh, there is a very strong uh, Catholic presence here. There are, you know, uh, historic centuries-old cathedrals all over the city. And um, yesterday was Orthodox Easter. And over the weekend, we witnessed so many people coming out of their homes, traveling, getting off trains, getting off buses, carrying their Easter baskets to church to be blessed. And it really was such a sign of resiliency. And even in war, people were going to step out of their home. They were going to go to church and they were going to, you know, celebrate their God. And that was really a beautiful and encouraging thing here. And, you know, today and last Monday were scary days here. I mean, there were missile strikes in the Lviv region where I am right now. There was a deadly uh, missile strike last Monday. Uh, Seven innocent people died when a missile hit a, a car repair shop here in the Lviv region. That marked the first wartime death in this city. You know, so it it goes to show that the the threat is all over this country, and we hear the air raid sirens going off constantly here in Lviv. Um, You know, that means that you should be taking shelter. Some people do, some people don't, but there are deadly missile strikes here. And today, uh, the um, National Railway here is reporting five stations came under fire this morning. The video is there. We aired it on Fox News. You know, major explosions. So people are so resilient, and millions of people have fled. They're trying to carry on with their lives, but the threat of death, the threat of some type of pending um, explosion is around every corner here in this country right now. Matt Finn in Lviv, Ukraine, our Fox News colleague. Matt, thank you for those updates, and stay safe. Thank you. Another hour of The Guy Benson Show coming up from Del Rio, Texas, Don't go anywhere. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. It's our middle hour of three underway here on the Guy Benson Show between 3 and 6 p.m. Eastern every weekday all across the country and around the world. Thank you so much for listening. GuyBensonShow.com. That's our website. Podcast on demand. No charge to you. GuyBensonShow.com. We are broadcasting from Del Rio, Texas and Base Camp Alpha as we are embedded for the current day and tomorrow as well with Operation Lone Star here in Texas, and we're grateful for this opportunity with a focus on the border crisis, what Texas is trying to do to clean up after the federal government's mess. We're also, of course, following all the news of the day here on the program, as we try to do on a daily basis. Fox News alert as we begin this middle hour. The Dow closes up today, 240 points, ending at 34,052. And I wonder if you can call any of that the Musk bump, as it appears That billionaire Elon Musk, the richest man in the world, is well on his way to acquiring Twitter, the social media company, which he intends to take private, and there could be some big changes on the way. Uh, That's a story that developed very quickly, and it looks like it's happening, but I don't think the deal would officially close pending a few other approvals for a matter of months. But that's a, a massive story. Perhaps we'll get... 
reaction from Senator Cruz here in a little while. He's coming up an hour from now. But joining me right now as we kick off this middle hour is Colonel Patrick Nolan. He is the Southwest Border Operations Chief of Staff here in the state of Texas, and he is overseeing Operation Lone Star. And, Colonel, it's great to have you here. Thank you very much. Thank you, Guy. I appreciate you having me on. Well, it's really fascinating to be here and to be embedded with you know some of the folks who were involved in this operation we got a taste of it last night with the you know the nighttime ops and the elite brush team will be out on the boats tomorrow in McAllen. Uh, we were down by the river earlier today looking at the fencing 24 miles of which have gone up just since last july or so uh, which is a huge undertaking for a state government that sort of had all of this thrust upon it. The feds weren't going to do what they needed to do, in my opinion at least, and Texas made some decisions. We have to stand in this gap and and help in some way. And I'm just wondering, since you are such a, a crucial person near the top of this whole operation, could you, for our listeners, just describe the scope of what this entails and what the state of Texas has stood up in a matter of just months to deal with this, you know, this very significant, ongoing, and growing challenge. Yes, God. Uh, so we're now approaching uh, for us what has been uh, nearly a year of providing uh, additional security, uh, along with our partners, the uh, Department of Public Safety, uh, down here on the border. And currently, uh, we have uh, 6,500 uh, guards, guard members, so that includes uh, Army National Guard, Air National Guard, and uh, what we in Texas refer to as the uh, Texas State Guard. Uh, and we're arrayed uh, from Brownsville uh, all the way out to Alpine, Texas, which is uh, you know, nearly 400 miles along the border. Uh, we're conducting security operations uh, along the river uh, with the, along with the uh, Department of Public Safety, uh, as well as uh, augmenting the uh, border infrastructure, as you pointed out, uh, with the uh, fencing uh, and barrier construction that uh, we continue to do, uh, as well as uh, augmenting uh, the uh, state in other ways uh, that are behind the scenes, you know, more like you had mentioned, the uh, elite brush teams. Uh, we have uh, provided uh, some uh, assistance uh, to local governments in processing uh, the uh, processing the uh, apprehensions uh, and warrants of undocumented migrants who have been uh, apprehended for trespassing, uh, as well as as you uh, pointed out to uh, to your uh, listeners, you're going down tomorrow to see uh, some of our boat operations along the river. Uh, again, part of uh, our augmentation of the uh, overall security on the border. Uh, and in particular, you know, that is all directed uh, at trying to deter migrants from crossing the river uh, and dissuade them from using unauthorized points of entry. Uh, you know, and then uh, where we see that, uh, immediately reporting unauthorized crossings to other law enforcement agencies. Here at Base Camp Alpha in Del Rio, the flags are at half-mast, just a gut punch a few days ago with the drowning death of Specialist Bishop Evans, who was only 22 years old, saving migrants who appeared to be drowning in the river. He went in after them, saved them, and the reports are that they were, in fact, drug smugglers, and, and he died in the process. His body was recovered today. 
this has to be extremely difficult for your entire operation and all the people that you work with. Yes, Guy. And, and of course, first of all, our thoughts and prayers uh, go out to the family of uh, Specialist Evans. Uh, it really has been a uh, traumatic weekend uh, for them uh, and for the uh, soldiers who served alongside uh, Specialist Evans. As we uh, came to grips uh, with what occurred there, and as you pointed out, uh, his remains were recovered from the uh, Rio Grande River this morning. Uh, and then you know, we're, uh, the law enforcement uh, and law and uh, other agencies took over uh, and transported those remains so that we can uh, get them in a dignified manner back to his family as quickly as possible. I want to ask you about another subject related to this operation, and I asked Governor Abbott about this in the last hour a little bit. There's been some reporting, especially in the early days of this operation, even just a few months ago, that there were some allegations at least of some mismanagement when it comes to uh, living conditions for the people who were deployed here, uh, pay issues as well. I asked the governor about it, and he said that uh, some of those things were overblown. Some of that was just sort of, you know, fog of war, early days, trying to get something ramped up very quickly. I guess my question for you, as someone who's helping to run the show here, how much of those critiques in your mind were fair? And can Texans, especially, you know, Texan taxpayers, can they feel confident now that Operation Lone Star has been responsive to some of the fair concerns, uh, you know, in recent months where some things maybe have been tightened up or changed? Yes. Well, I think, Guy, first thing that your listeners uh, need to know is that this is unprecedented. Uh, though the uh, National Guard in some form uh, has been uh, conducting border security operations since 2006, uh, almost continuously, uh, this ramping up to the number of soldiers that we mobilized down to the border uh, is completely unprecedented in scope and scale. And when you look at the border, of course, you have the uh, Rio Grande Valley, which is uh, very densely populated. But as you go further north uh, towards Del Rio and Eagle Pass and even further out there, uh, it is very austere. Uh, and there are not uh, there is not enough local housing uh, to you know, for us to support the number of uh, National Guard members that we met. Like hotel rooms. You can't can't find hotel rooms, right? That's a big part of the issue in some of these places. That is correct, right? And so this was very much an expeditionary operation uh, where we had to to very quickly uh, build six base camps uh, to support the soldiers uh, and the airmen and and the State Guard who came down to the border. Uh, and in the development of those uh, base camps, of course, uh, we had to tap into contractors who are normally used to uh, you know, doing this for uh, line workers and other people who respond to emergencies. And they, what they set up is expeditionary and temporary. And, of course, as you know, we are down here uh, for as long as the uh, governor and the state of Texas need us uh, to support security along the border. So. Over time, uh, what we had to get in place was uh, something to meet the immediate needs. And now over time, uh, we have continued to better those conditions. And as you saw uh, in the base camps that you visited, uh, those conditions are improved, have improved yep. dramatically, uh, as well as you know, just the behind-the-scenes infrastructure of supporting 
pay and logistics uh, and, you know, feeding and lodging all those soldiers, uh, it took us some time. It was a, a very quick uh, mobilization to respond to the declaration of emergency uh, that our governor uh, declared down on the border due to the situation. Uh, but knowing that we were going to be here over the long term, uh, as long as we're needed, uh, we dis- yeah, we initiated a a, a very deliberate, uh, a very deliberate um, you know, uh, attempt to improve all those living conditions. And I think we've done a very good job. And so, you know, what I would say to Texans is, uh, you know, we are here to conduct operations on behalf of the state and the citizens of Texas and and for the governor, uh, along with our partners. Uh, but we are also here, and as, you know, particularly me as a senior leader, I'm here to ensure that we're taking care of our soldiers. Uh, and that we're taking care of our airmen and that they have the best conditions possible to support this hard mission. Yeah, and it's an enormous amount of just logistical work involved. And just, you know, from my perspective, an outsider, an amateur here, I'm, I'm just a civilian coming in. I can attest, you know, that you're not just, you know, putting on spin. They were telling me about and showing me, you know, some of the previous lodging situations versus what they've now got going on they, they were just showing us today brand new dorms uh sort of like you know college dorm size in these huge trailers climate controlled you know the the chow tent is big and has you know really nice strong offerings it's it does seem like as things have ramped up what you just described is happening and it is an enormous challenge to get all these people out there you know fed equipped every single day with very little notice and the bad news uh, i guess for the country is this is probably a mission that's going to last a while the good news is you guys are adapting as the mission goes on as necessary i guess my last question colonel is just for our national audience maybe not people who live in texas maybe not even people who are that familiar with this crisis Uh, they've heard a few headlines or heard a few sound bites about it from your perspective as one of the officers in charge of this, on the Texas side, obviously the feds, that's a whole other problem. But from the Texas side of things, what is something that you think Americans need to know about this operation that might surprise them? Or something that you feel is like an essential element of this that might get lost in a lot of the media coverage or just ignored, frankly, by the media? What would you like Americans to know about what you're doing? Well, I think in in general, uh, most Americans probably feel very disconnected uh, from the situation along the border. Uh, and what I would like for them to remember is that, uh, you know, this truly does affect the state and the citizens of Texas, uh, and that you have National Guard members who are, you know, here in Texas, uh, willing and able to stand up uh, and conduct these types of operations. At the same time, uh, as the National Guard members, uh, really doing the things that also we're tasked with, which is supporting national security operations. So we wear that dual hat. We work for, uh, we work for our governor as well as for the nation. Uh, and all of those things we have to do simultaneously. And that is a very hard task. Uh, and you know, when you're talking about security on the border, uh, of course, it's a uh, it's an ongoing problem, but uh, you have Texans who are willing to respond uh, not only for Texas but also for our nation and come down here 
and do these hard things uh, in conjunction with our partners at the uh, Department of Public Safety uh, and, you know, make sure that uh, that we're trying to deal in a way with this emergency that, uh, you know, that is dignified, uh, that respects uh, that respects the human tragedy that really is at the core uh, mm-hmm. of this whole emergency along the border, uh, as well as uh, protects and you know, dignifies our soldiers in the job that we've asked them to do. Well, Colonel, I really appreciate being invited down here with my team at townhall.com to see it, to talk about it, and for you to come on here and answer some of our questions. Uh, I really appreciate your time, your insight on this. It is obviously uh, a really big, difficult task, as you say. We appreciate your service, and again, we're very sorry for the loss uh, that your whole operation has suffered here with Specialist Evans, with his body being discovered today. Uh, it's it's a tough time to be down here, but still important to be down here seeing this because it matters to Texas. It matters to the rest of the country as well. Uh, Colonel Patrick Nolan, he's the Southwest Border Operations Chief of Staff here in Texas. Sir, thank you again very much. Thank you, Guy. And I would ask your listeners uh, just to also keep their thoughts and prayers out to the family of uh, our Texas and American hero, Specialist Evans. Uh, in his family as they go through this uh, this hard and difficult time. Thank you. Amen. Yes. And on that sad but important note, we have to step aside. It is The Guy Benson Show, live in Del Rio, Texas, and we will be right back. The Guy Benson Show. More next. I'm Guy Benson. We're live in Texas. Thank you very much for tuning in. GuyBensonShow.com. So the White House was asked about this horrible tragedy down in Eagle Pass, Texas. This just happened minutes ago, and our colleague here at Fox, Jackie Heinrich, posed the question. Here's the answer from the White House press secretary. Listen to Cut 22. Does the White House feel at all responsible, and what, what more can you offer to people who you know, are on the border, in border communities, who are experiencing loss and, and trials like this? Well, of course, we are mourning the the loss of his life, and we are grateful for the work of every National Guardsman. I would note that the National Guard work for the states, and so he is an employee of the Texas Texas National Guard, and his efforts and his operation were directed by there, not by the federal government uh, in this this effort, in this apparatus. Uh, We've we've long stated that our immigration system is broken. There needs to be more done to invest in smarter security, to have a more effective asylum processing system. And we would welcome any efforts to uh, for for any elected officials to work with us on that. <laughs> Amazing. It's like uh, for this crew to talk about smarter border security is a joke. She got in there saying, oh, yes, you know, we mourn the loss. Apparently not that loudly, though, because President Biden, Katie Pavlich is making the point. She's coming up with me in the next segment. We've heard nothing from the president on this. The president was out there accusing Border Patrol falsely of whipping migrants. That was a smear. He was out there doing that on day one. This is, what, day four since this guy drowned, and the president has had nothing to say. What does that tell you? And then the immediate punt to Texas. Oh, actually, uh, we would refer you to Texas because he worked for Texas, and he was directed there by Texas. Basically, not our fault. Why is Texas doing what they're doing. Why Operation Lone Star in existence? It's because of the absolute fiasco 
at the border caused by the policies, directly caused by the policies of this White House and this administration. Then they get an American hero killed who dies in the line of duty, saving what turns out to be, reportedly, drug smugglers. And they're like, well, that's a shame and we're sad, but, you know, Texas did that to him, not us. Callous buck passing is what that is. I mean, maybe that's the answer that they workshopped. Took them three or four days. It's not a good one. It's putting it very kindly. Katie Pavlich will be here next on The Guy Benson Show. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. From Del Rio, Texas, it's The Guy Benson Show. Thank you very much for tuning in. We are broadcasting from Base Camp Alpha here as we are embedded with Operation Lone Star as the state of Texas is trying to get its arms around this border crisis that has been caused by the federal government, but Texas is dealing with it every single day. We're down here today. We're going to McAllen tomorrow, and we've been talking about it all show. We've been talking about this issue now for months, really years, seeing it with my own eyes up close is in fact eye-opening and joining me here on set we have this very cool stage that they've given us (laughs) in this location this broadcast location is katie pavlich whose laugh you just heard my colleague twice over at townhall.com and of course a fox news contributor as well katie we're here in our capacity with townhall.com with julio rosas our colleague who's been down here a lot i know you've done some border reporting in arizona your home state Being here and just seeing the scale Mm -hmm. of this problem and the efforts that Texas has undertaken just to kind of clean up what the feds have created, I'm blown away. Yeah, it's certainly overwhelming and it. It's hard to kind of process everything all at once. And we were out late last night uh, with Texas DPS and the Texas National Guard and seeing how they use drone technology and all the resources that they have. You know, dozens of troopers and soldiers get together in a parking lot behind a gas station to figure out where they're going that night to protect private ranches because, as we learned, uh, they can't prosecute or arrest for federal crimes. Border Patrol has to do that, and Border Patrol can't be everywhere. So they're now protecting private ranches by, you know, looking at the drones, seeing, you know, if there are people on these properties. And as we experience, when they find people, they go out, you know, apprehend them, and we watch them take out five guys All of them said they were from Honduras. There may be some questions about what they said their identity was. Mm -hmm. We saw them search their bags, search their bodies, and then handcuff them and put them into a van to take them to Del Rio for processing. And for me, you know, looking at the overwhelming nature of this ongoing problem, you know, that was a couple hours that we spent with them. This is happening every single day, and the tactics are always changing from the cartels, from the smugglers. They're watching when the hours are on, when they're off, you know, 6 a.m. to 3 a.m., so then they start really their activity at 4 a.m., and the idea that these guys show up every single day to do a job that really isn't their job, it's the job of the federal government, right. um, without getting disheartened or feeling like it's not worth it because it's so overwhelming and such a big problem uh, is encouraging, but it's discouraging to see how little the federal government under President Biden's policies, the Department of Homeland Security and, and uh, Mayorkas, how they haven't done anything to 
fix the problem when it's clear. Well, they made it worse. I mean, Mayorkas has been here a number of times. He's seen this happening. The vice president has refused to come to this part of the country to see what's happening. But for them to know the amount of people, the amount of resources that are being used by the local government here, the Texas government, uh, it's just incredible that they would continue to not care about doing something to change the policies that are driving this problem. Local governments, too. Like, we're seeing sheriffs from hours away who are here helping with the effort, which is great. Also, those are resources then not in local communities because there's this surge down here because of this federal failure. The one thing, I don't know if you agree or not with this, but having spoken to Border Patrol people on the air and off the air now for a while, the morale problem there, I think, is rooted in the fact that they aren't being allowed to do their jobs. Right. At least the guys here in the state of Texas are being able to do their jobs. It's a new job. It's a job they shouldn't have to do. But the Abbott administration is saying, we have to. This is your mission. Go do it. It feels, at least to me, like from an outsider's perspective, maybe more fulfilling because they're at least they've got someone behind them. You know, the administration in this state has their back. The administration in Washington doesn't have the back within their jurisdiction of CBP. That's like that's at least what I'm feeling. Absolutely. And it was described to me last night as Texas DPS and the Texas National Guard are the 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 last stand here now i mean it's not just about texas right it's about where these people go throughout the country and if they can get them on a private piece of property and charge them with criminal trespassing and keep them in jail for maybe a little longer they're not getting put on a bus by the department of homeland security or an ngo that's getting money from fema and going to you know god knows where never to be to be seen again Mm -hmm. and so they're doing their part to do what they can to use the laws that they have to prosecute people who are violating the laws of of texans but of the of the country and um, it is encouraging to see them stepping up to do that. And as you noted, the Biden administration is not only not allowing Border Patrol to do their job, they are actively inhibiting their ability to do their job. We saw the, the Whipgate hoax. Uh, we, we saw the Mounted Border Patrol uh, getting pulled off of the, the front lines as a result of a fake scandal mm-hmm. uh, that is, was a smear by the president of the United States. Uh, we're seeing, you know, we're here a couple of weeks ahead of the repeal of Title 42. And if you look at the numbers that you're seeing every single day, and the idea that you have to have 18,000 encounters per day, it is completely unsustainable. And for me, the bottom line out of all of this is you can't just arrest your way out of this, right? Even if you're arresting people for state crimes, they're eventually going to be released. So these guys and the feds us. have to do something like that. It's a policy change that needs to happen for this actually to change. And I don't see that happening at well, all. Well, not just a policy change, like a total sea change in mentality. I yep. mean, it's so broken. And I think... One thing that has to be frustrating, we were talking to some of these guys last night. They're like, oh, yeah, we'll encounter same people mm-hmm. over and over again. They're like, oh, hello again. Because right. there's some, whether it's, you know, a coyote leading a group or whatever. I mean, it's just like this revolving door. And it's all this magnet just incentivized by the federal government. A couple things that also struck me last night. I cannot imagine how they could do this job without drones. Yeah. Like, how do you do this job <laughs> yeah. a few yeah. decades ago or even a couple of years ago? I mean, this technology was Amazing, not perfect, yep. but amazing. Right. Where you can pinpoint an issue, you can get out, you know, in front of folks as opposed to chasing them, and it just gives an upper hand to people who are willing to use it, namely these guys. I mean, otherwise, you are literally in the dark. Right. Hoping. Well, it also makes it safer for the law enforcement officials who are pursuing uh, these people because they know where they are. They can get a tactical advantage to where they may be walking. They can take a vehicle in so that it's easier to arrest these people and put them into the vehicle rather than having to go on some big chase. But 
the kind of people that we saw being arrested, they are evading arrest by doing this in the dark of night. But once they actually were in custody, they were in pretty good spirits about oh, totally. being there. And Chill. then, you know, I have I have a little bit of expa- a Spanish experience, very bad Spanish. But when I did use some of the Spanish I could recall, I was asking them, why did you come here? They said they were coming here for work. And I, when I asked the group, you know, are you afraid of being deported? Uh, one ma- older man spoke up and said, yes, I'm very afraid of being deported back to my home country of Honduras, which is exactly a parroting of what these cartels and smugglers tell them That's to say script. so they can meet this very low bar of seeking asylum in America. Because as long as you say you have credible fear, you get to get processed and released in the United States. The other thing was I, we kept asking, you know, who did you pay to come here? Who smuggled you here? And they, they were very adamant about saying that they walked all the way from Honduras and that they paid their own way. They didn't pay anybody. Well, that's just not believable given the cartel uh, control over the smuggling routes, given the kind of clothes that they were wearing, the amount of supplies that they had. They had these very small backpacks that did not have weeks worth of supplies. Um, they said that they had changed clothes and a lot of time they do change clothes out of the ones they've been wearing for a while so they can fit into society. So say they make it to their drop point in Texas, they get picked up by the next smuggler who they claim they're not paying, and they get taken to San Antonio. Well, if they're wearing clean clothes, uh, they don't look like they just walk through the desert illegally. So they're more likely to be able to get into society and stay there. So there's so many factors that were at play, but just seeing it firsthand is very interesting. You mentioned Title 42. It's something that we've brought up many times, not just on the show today, but over the course of weeks. And we're like hurtling as a country toward this deadline in May, which just strikes me as truly insane. And to hear people literally on the front lines talking about it, we were at the river today, and there was a Texas National Guard commander, the guy who was in charge, sort of showing us around. He brought this up unprovoked. Like, we didn't solicit anything from him on Title 42. He said, with that deadline now looming, people know and they're already starting to adjust their behavior. He said he is seeing an uptick that he, in his opinion, and he knows what he's talking about, is directly attributable right. to what's on the horizon here, uh, you know, four weeks or so from right now. I just thought it was telling. I mean, he brought that to us right. without a single prompt. Right. Well, in talking to Julio, who's also been on this trip, you know, he was here a couple months ago uh, reporting on the Mexican side and, and talking with uh, migrants there who were waiting to come. And they specifically told him, I'm waiting until Title 42 is taken off so I can come into the States and I will not be deported. And if you look at the types of people we've seen being arrested over the course of the last 12 hours, uh, they're single adult males. Uh, but the fact is that the Biden administration uh, has been allowing single adult males from northern triangle countries to stay in the United States. It's like a soft saying, launch. It's a soft launch. They've essentially been kind of peeling off a little bit at a time of these single adult males. Not a little bit at a time. It's been a complete an influx of thousands of single adult males. They've been voluntarily flying across the country. Uh, but the point is that they've allowed certain adult males from certain countries to stay in the United States as long as they can get here, which is an interesting perspective given last night when those men were arrested. They were in pretty good spirits. It's almost like they were relieved that they no longer had to walk and that they had a ride. Um, and given the, the, the current policy and the policy that they will completely repeal, at least as of today, according to the White House, uh, it will get 
much, much worse. And um, like I said, you know, like, and you said, until you have a completely different mentality about how to approach this, it doesn't matter how many people you arrest. It's like having a leak in your house and mm-hmm. just putting a bucket out. And then when another leak happens, you put a bucket out instead of actually fixing the problem. That's exactly what's happening here. Yeah. And in this case, you've got like the federal government drilling new holes in exactly. the roof. That's right. how it feels. Yep. Last point, and this is on the politics. Kevin McCarthy, the Republican House leader, he's down here just like 45 minutes from here, Eagle Pass. Of course, that's where we had this horrific, tragic drowning in recent days. A member of the Texas National Guard uh, who died. McCarthy's down there. He's got a group of Republican members with him. I mean, it seems like an absolute no-brainer for the GOP to say there is absolute chaos down here. And the Democrats don't have it in them to really do anything about it. We need some changes. I mean, I don't know if this is going to be a top three election issue nationally. It might be Mm -hmm. by the time November rolls Mm -hmm. around. But it can't fall into, like, you know, the the bottom echelon of issues. To me, this is is a major concern on public safety, on national security, national sovereignty, and just chaos and crisis. There's just so much of that under this regime. Well, and interestingly, talking to the, the folks here who have been hosting us and showing us around, they've said that Fox News and Town Hall are really the only people who have been down here. They haven't seen CNN. They haven't seen MSNBC. But regardless of the fact that the media has ignored the story, people are feeling it. Just this morning, there are dozens of Democratic senators who are urging the administration not to repeal Title 42. A vulnerable senator, Democrat from New Hampshire, was recently here because guess what? New Hampshire has a fentanyl problem as a result of this open border policy. And so it's time for Congress to do something about that in terms of passing some legislation that Biden has to, you know, sign or veto, uh, keeping Title 42 in check. So the politics of this are always complicated, um, but it's nice, even if it's a political issue in an election year, to see Democrats recognizing the reality of what would happen if they repeal Title well, 42. And, and my cynical take on that is some of them might care about the policy. I think a Most lot of them, do not. they care about getting reelected. Correct. So yes. all of a sudden, Deep concerns arise right. after voting to enable the chaos and the crisis. And ignoring it for a year, by the way. This is, you know, we had the Haitian crisis last summer. Uh, Operation Lone Star was launched uh, last July as a kind of recognizing that the Biden administration was going to have this open border catastrophic perspective and approach to the border uh, and looking around at, you know, we're at base camp right now. They're saying there's permanent housing here. It indicates to me that they expect this will continue to be the way that the Biden administration approaches this. And therefore, the Texas National Guard and DPS have to continue their work to do the job that the federal government is responsible for. And you're like planning ahead till potentially, let's say, roughly January of 2025. Potentially, you you would need this type of thing. And so it's remarkable how much they have stood up in Mm -hmm. such a small amount of time. I think it also underscores the total failure of the federal government. Willing failure. If the state of Texas can do all of this as governments go on a dime and, and stand this whole thing up, and the feds are supposed to have permanent infrastructure down here and permanent responsibilities. I mean, it's such an indictment. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, and seeing it firsthand is, it's shocking. It's also sad. That's it the word sad. that keeps yeah. coming to me is sad. Yeah, and, and I've always said for years, open borders are inhumane borders. Uh, the way that things are happening here, it's not a humane way for people to come to the United States. Uh, people are dying every day. And I think most importantly, given uh, the news of the National Guardsmen, drowning you know this administration has vilified and smeared law enforcement trying to defend the border and this man lost his life jumping in after people breaking the law to come into this country who reportedly for
for were part of a, a national drug trafficking cartel organization, lost his life as a result, and they survived. So they're not just down here defending the country. They're also serving a humanitarian purpose of search and rescue as these people try and cross the river. The federal government re- refuses to secure. Katie Pavlich, townhall.com and Fox News. Katie will be traveling to McAllen this evening yep. and uh, a whole new thing to see there tomorrow. Uh, but thanks for joining us yes, here. Maybe thanks we'll for having me. catch up tomorrow. Yes. Katie Pavlich on The Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back after this. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. As we continue on The Guy Benson Show, we are just weeks away. The primary elections that are being very closely watched down in Georgia in 106.3 Extra Country. And last night there was a fiery debate between the incumbent governor, Brian Kemp, and his Republican challenger, David Perdue, former senator. He's trying to unseat Governor Kemp and then go on and face Stacey Abrams, almost certainly, in the general election. And polling shows Kemp hanging in there and leading in some cases by double digits, despite President Trump being all in for Purdue. A lot of this goes back to 2020 and what happened in that election. And then, of course, in early 2021 with Purdue losing in the runoff. Both of those Senate seats going to the Democrats. And at the debate last night, almost the first half hour of the debate about a 2022 election was about the 2020 election. Backward looking for the better part of half an hour. I don't know who that serves exactly. I think Republicans and conservatives have to move forward. The media, the Democrats would be very happy to relitigate 2020 over and over again this cycle and certainly in 2024. I think Republicans who are obsessed with looking back at that and pointing fingers and indulging conspiracies, I just think it is totally, totally destructive, especially when there's a Democratic Party, speaking of destructive, to beat based on what they're doing actively right now in Washington, D.C. Here were some of the fireworks last night. Cut 21. You know, that's what politicians do. It's somebody else's fault when it doesn't go right. But when no, something's David, going that's well, what the law you're doing, in the you're doing quite, is. You're quite it's ready what to the take law all the in credit. the Constitution Governor. is. It's no. nice to see this. And leaders, weak leaders take credit when things go weak well. Weak leaders and blame people. And I'm telling people. you, they blame somebody else when it doesn't. Hey, weak leaders blame everybody else for their own loss instead of themselves. That's a pretty stinging line there from Kemp at the very end, talking about Purdue and all the blame shift. Look, if there are Republican voters out there who are thrilled to talk about what happened two years ago endlessly, then by all means, go for it. As I said, the left will be very happy to play along. I think if the goal is to win and to move forward and to disempower the Democrats, that is a dead end. And it's facing a huge test in the state of Georgia, and we are weeks away from that election. Final hour of the Guy Benson Show coming up. We are in Del Rio, Texas, here embedded with Operation Lone Star. Joining us when we come back, U.S. Senator Ted Cruz, a Republican of Texas, joining us straight ahead. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson.
It is the happy hour on The Guy Benson Show, our final hour on the program today. On this Monday, thank you for tuning in. I'm Guy Benson, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time every weekday, although I guess since I'm here in Texas, I should say 2 to 5 Central. You can also listen on demand for free online on our podcast, GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcasts.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Lots of different ways to listen. You can go back and catch specific interviews and monologues or the whole thing. It's up to you. All of that information, all of those resources at GuyBensonShow.com. Follow us on social media at Guy Benson Show. That's Twitter and Instagram. That's at Guy Benson Show. Or my personal account at Guy P. Benson. Same two platforms. And this hour is sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink, which is everywhere here in Texas, and it is expanding across the country. It is so delicious. More announcements to come on that front. TheLongDrink.com is their website. You can see where they're sold near you. You can also order online. TheLongDrink.com. Always drink responsibly. 21 plus only. Thank you. Joining us now is U.S. Senator Ted Cruz, a Republican of Texas. And, Senator, it's great to be in your state and great to have you back on the show. Welcome. Guy, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. I want to start on a sad note, but one that I think merits some conversation. The U.S. Senate lost a giant over the weekend. Longtime Utah Senator Orrin Hatch passing away. He was 88. He served in the upper chamber for decades, 1977 to 2018. I know you overlapped with him. What a sense of humor. The man was a statesman. I just wonder what your thoughts are on the legacy of Senator Orrin Hatch. Well, Oren was a friend. He was a colleague. He was someone who served four decades in the United States Senate and uh, left an extraordinary legacy. Uh, as, as you noted, when, when I arrived to serve with him, he was already uh, in his sunset years but had been here a, a very long time. He came in as a young Turk. He would regularly uh, sit me down and sit other senators down and, and, and tell war stories of, you know, when I came here, I was a rabble-rouser just like you. And, and, and he used to tell a number of us, uh, you know, son, son, one day you're going to amount to something, which uh, <laughs> it kind of chuck, chuckled a little bit at the sentiment of. I, I'll tell you, my favorite Orrin Hatch story, though, was his colleague from Utah and my dear friend Mike Lee um, was standing with him on the Senate floor. And, and actually, Mike had been a Senate page while Orrin was a senator. That's how long he had served. Wow. Um, and some someone came up to the two of them and another said, hey, is it true that I heard uh, that that Utah has legalized medical marijuana? And, and Hatch bowed his head and shook it in sadness. And he said, yes, first coffee. Now this. <laughs> Perfect. Well, he will be missed, and I got to know him just a little bit when I was coming up in this industry. He was extremely kind to me, and I just wanted to get your thoughts, Senator Cruz, before we moved on to another very sad subject, news breaking here in Texas today involving the drowning death of Specialist Bishop Evans. His body was found earlier. That was confirmed. Governor Abbott put out a statement, and this is now an American who has been lost in this border crisis, someone who dove into the water to help people who were drowning. He saved them. They survived. It turns out, according to the authorities here, they are likely drug smugglers. And, I mean, at what point does the federal government and the Biden administration deserve, frankly, some blame 
when this crisis turns lethal? Well, tragically, this is yet another death uh, that for, for which the Biden administration is directly responsible. Uh, we have the 13 servicemen and women who were murdered in Afghanistan uh, as a result of their disastrously failed withdrawal and surrender to the Taliban. And, and now yet another uh, serviceman, the National Guardsman, who was answering the call, who was stepping forward to defend his nation. And, and he died uh, selflessly, uh, saving the lives of others. And, and this, this shouldn't have had to happen. Uh, we're seeing an extraordinary influx of illegal immigration. Uh, over 2 million people last year, the highest rate in 61 years. And that's the direct result of political decisions made by Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And, and, and it has resulted tragically in an enormous loss of life, not only this guardsman who heroically lost his life, but also the many victims of crime as, as violent criminals and gang members have been among those illegal aliens coming in. Spread of infectious diseases, including COVID-19. This has been an ongoing humanitarian disaster. And were it not for the lawlessness of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, the refusal to enforce the law, the odds are very good this National Guardsman would still be with us and still living because he would not have been uh, needing to combat the chaos at the border caused by Biden and Harris. I am just shocked being down here, not by the revelation of how bad it is, because I've been following this issue very closely for a long time, but just sort of seeing the day-in and day-out churn of this crisis with the feds overwhelmed, their hands tied behind their backs by the administration, the Texas government doing everything in its power to try to deal with this in some sort of way that's responsible and getting attacked for it constantly, by the way, either attacked aggressively or just ignored totally by the national press. And this all comes against the backdrop, Senator, of Title 42 scheduled to go away in just about one month. We were chatting with one of the commanders here today down right at the river, and he said already word is spreading that Title 42 is going to be jettisoned and that is, in his mind, increasing illegal crossings already with weeks to spare. How can the administration move forward on this policy that is so obviously disastrous on every level, you know, policy-wise and politically, that even their own colleagues in their party have started begging them to reconsider? I mean, do you think just for the political reasons they might reconsider this? Well, Guy, unfortunately, the answer to how they can go forward is they just don't give a damn that it is all politics all the time with this administration. I'm, I'm glad you're down there seeing it firsthand. I think it is incredibly important uh, for particularly everyone in media to see firsthand what is happening because you cannot defend this chaos, the suffering, the disaster that is unfolding if you see it. Last year, I, I brought 19 senators down to the border, down to the Rio Grande Valley to see it firsthand. And, and I got to tell you, my colleagues were shocked. They were astonished. We went out on, on the river and, and even that one time, day we were out on the river, we saw a dead body floating of someone who had been presumably trying to cross illegally, who had drowned, who had lost his life. We saw a constant stream of men, women, children, little children, infants coming across, just one after the other after the other, a constant flow of humanity. We saw the Biden cages packed uh, with children lying side by side, packed in like sardines, as close 
as humanly possible. And the reason I say the Democrats don't give a damn is for four years they went on and on and on about kids in cages. You couldn't turn on the TV without hearing that refrain. What they never acknowledged is that Barack Obama built the cages, and the cages today are bigger and more full under Joe Biden. And suddenly the Democrats don't care. Joe Biden hasn't been to the border. Kamala Harris hasn't been to the Rio Grande Valley. The national media ignores it. The kids on cages, AOC in her white pantsuit, famously weeping about the kids in cages. If it's Joe Biden locking them up, nothing to see here, not a problem. And I got to tell you, the people in South Texas, one of the reasons why South Texas, I believe, is going to turn red in this election, because nobody, regardless of your party, if you see this, you can't defend it. And, and, and Guy, mm-hmm. I, you know, I have done a number of roundtables with people in South Texas. I've talked with farmers and ranchers, moms, angry, who say, listen, I won't let my teenage children go out on our property without carrying a loaded firearm. Because there's so many traffickers coming across our property, and they yell at you. They say, what the hell is going on? This is America. My kids ought to be able to be safe on our own property. This is the result of cynical politics from Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, and there isn't a single Democrat in the Senate that gives a damn enough to stop it. Well, and speaking of cynicism on this subject, I do see the headlines and, you know, the banner graphics on TV. Democratic senators urge Biden to reconsider on Title 42. And that's fine. I hope he does reconsider because you'd get a crisis that would become a full-blown just explosion down here if they move forward with their plan. But the cynic in me believes, Senator, that a lot of your colleagues on the other side of the aisle are suddenly concerned about an issue because they are seeing how it's playing politically. They're anticipating what's going to happen in the spring and summer. They're up for re-election in many cases in November. And a topic on which they either have nothing to say or they vote against everything that they possibly can when it comes to border security or the wall, whatever it is, you name it. Now, right sort of uh, with, a, with an election looming, these folks decide, oh, gosh, maybe, maybe Title 42 needs to stay as a policy matter, but certainly as a political proposition. And, you know, Senator, I'm so old that I remember, I think it was, in fact, you yourself who had an an amendment on this, Title 42, last year. And if I'm wrong, please correct me. I believe every single Democrat in the Senate voted against your amendment that would have enshrined Title 42. And it seems like maybe they finally come around. They're finally seeing it your way just in the nick of time for an election. Am I being too cynical here? Well, Guy, you're not, and what you're saying is exactly right. We, you, you've got a bunch of Democrats on the ballot in November who are suddenly scared. They discover that people don't like chaos. They don't like crime. They don't like disease. They don't like human suffering and children being physically assaulted, sexually assaulted. Title 42 is the one tool remaining that allows uh, adult males to, to be removed uh, when they pose a, a, a risk of spreading the pandemic, and yet the Biden administration, while trying to enforce illegal vaccine mandates on American citizens, while trying to impose mask mandates on just about everybody, simultaneously is saying, if you're an illegal alien, never mind, we'll just let you go and uh, see what happens. I, and, and suddenly, a bunch of Democrats on the ballot in November realize, wow, the American people don't like this, but, but you're exactly right. When they had a chance to vote on it last year, I introduced an amendment to enshrine, to protect Title 42, to ensure that we were protecting public safety. And every 
single Democrat in the Senate yep. voted no. 50 that out means of 50. Catherine Cortez Masto in Nevada voted no. That means Mark Kelly in Arizona voted no. That means Raphael Warnock in Georgia voted no. That means Maggie Hassan in, in New Hampshire voted no. Now they're trying to run away from that vote, but notably, they're just giving lame statements to the press. They don't want to actually change the policy because Chuck Schumer blocked a vote two weeks ago for us to change the policy. So they want to give an empty statement to the press, but at the same time, give Joe Biden the green light to undermine our safety even more. Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, my guest. Senator, last topic here. I just have a hunch that you might have a few thoughts on this. I won't believe any of it until every single thing is written out, every I is dotted, every T is crossed, and you know the signatures are all in place, and it's official. But all of this buzz, all of the reports about Elon Musk perhaps being on the brink of officially taking over, buying Twitter and making it private, I'm curious how you feel about that and how you're feeling, how you're thinking about the meltdown currently underway about this prospect. Guy, I think it is tremendous. I I think it is the most significant development for free speech in decades. And and I salute Elon Musk for for having the courage to step in and say enough is enough and to put together over $40 billion in funding. And if this goes through, it it, it is remarkably important. And to see the left, to see the corporate media, to see Democrats screaming – that suddenly their opponents will no longer be silenced. Now, to be clear, Elon is not saying he's going to silence the left. He's not going to silence the Democrats. He's not going to silence the socialists or the Marxists. He's just going to let people speak and engage in free speech. And the left is terrified of dissent. They're terrified of facts. They're terrified of engaging in substance. As you know, I do every week a podcast that is called Verdict with Ted Cruz. Um, It was the year we introduced it. It became the number one ranked podcast in the world. We did it on campus last week at the University of Alabama. We did it on campus the week before at Yale University. Both universities had over 500 students come out because they want to engage. They want to actually hear facts. They want to hear substance. They want to engage in debate. That's what Twitter should be as well. And Elon Musk is performing a public service of extraordinary magnitude. Yep, and the reporting just this afternoon and evening, is that Twitter has agreed to the terms and the deal is happening. I mean, it feels kind of surreal. Again, I will believe it when it's officially all the way through, but that's the way this all seems to be heading, Senator. And I think one last piece of it for me is if there are going to be rules, and there have to be rules of the road, it's not going to be just, you know, anyone can post absolutely anything that they want on Twitter. But if there are going to be rules, the rules have to be clear and enforced fairly and equally which seems to be one of the biggest gripes that conservatives have with the current regime at Twitter. And Musk has at least suggested that would be one of the things that he would believe in if he becomes uh, the overlord of all of Twitter. And I guess we'll just have to see. But it has been fascinating, this entire drama, as it's unfolded and seems to be coming to a head. And it looks like it's not just, you know, some idle threat. It seems like it might really, truly be happening. Senator Ted Cruz, Republican of Texas. I'm here in Texas. Uh, Very proud to be here in Texas, in Del Rio at the moment, going to McAllen tomorrow. Senator, we always appreciate your time. Thanks for carving some out for us here on the program today. Terrific. Thank you. That's Ted Cruz on The Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show.
Happy hour on the Guy Benson Show. Thank you very much for listening. I saw this clip of Randy Weingarten doing an interview. She, of course, is the big teachers union boss of the American Federation of Teachers. She was going off. It seems like sort of like the teachers union death-like vice grip on schools is loosening, thanks, ironically, to their own failures. And occasionally that spills over into panic among those who have wielded power in favor of adults against children for a very long time. It's just been so undeniably obvious and particularly acutely harmful in recent years. So she was lashing out. She's a partisan. These unions give almost every cent of their lobbying money and political money to the Democratic Party. A handful of exceptions, but that's where it's like it's so lopsided. And here she was in Cut 19. Listen to Randy Weingarten. They just don't want public schools. You know, they, you know, Milton Friedman didn't want public schools. They, didn't, they wanted to have choice or universal voucher systems. But this time, they don't even care if they even have public education. And they will brutalize anyone who is in their way. She's talking about conservatives and Republicans. I'm all for school choice. Parents deserve opportunities. And so do kids. But it is really rich to hear Randy Weingarten whining that conservatives don't care about public schools and don't want public schools when it was her, her union, in concert with the Democratic Party that had public schools shut all across this country for well over a year. And it was Republicans fighting to get those classrooms back open. And now she wants to gaslight this way? It's not even subtle. She is panicking, and it's a wonderful sight to see because the mask is fully off. The Guy Benson Show from Texas continues right after this break. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Back on the Guy Benson Show, delighted to have you all here on this Monday Earlier in the program, during our first hour, our first guest today was Texas Governor Greg Abbott, a Republican who runs this state, a somber day here in the state. We had a lot to talk about with some of the breaking news. Here is part of my conversation earlier on today's show with Texas Governor Greg Abbott. It's great to be back in Texas, although clearly a very somber day here, especially with the Texas National Guard as the body of Specialist Bishop Evans has been found. That was confirmed earlier today. I know you put out a statement a few hours ago, Governor, uh, just an extremely sad development in this broader context of this border crisis that you're trying to do something about down here in the Lone Star State. Just your reaction to today's news. Well, listen, obviously it's a tragedy. Uh, and it, it, but, but it demonstrates the, the sense of heroism, the sense of valor uh, that the, these National Guard members have. Uh, they are willing to put their lives on the line, even when it looks like somebody else is losing their life. And they knowingly put themselves in danger uh, to try to save somebody else's life. And that's exactly uh, what this National Guard soldier did. And so I consider him to be both a Texas and American hero uh, at, at, at the same time. It's a travesty uh, that we as a state uh, have to deploy National Guard as well as Texas Department of Public Safety officers to the border. And we have to do so uh, because of the Biden administration's mishandling uh, of border security. Uh, as you know, as your, as your listeners need to know, 
there is an inadequate number of Border Patrol officers on the border. Uh, ICE uh, has been basically decimated by the Biden administration. Uh, of the Border Patrol members who were down there, uh, they don't really get to, put, quote, patrol the border uh, like they're supposed to be doing because they're doing paper processing work for all these people uh, that uh, are uh, arriving across the border. And so basically Border Patrol officers have been reduced to paper pushers. Uh, and is Texas is, is having to stand up uh, and put soldiers on the border uh, to secure the border as much as we possibly can. Governor, I know some of the officials in this state said that the migrants who seem to be drowning, who were in fact saved by Specialist Evans as he lost his own life, uh, they've said that those migrants are believed to be drug smugglers. Can you confirm that? That's what I was told by the director of the Texas Department of Public Safety. Uh, it's also my understanding uh, that they have been arrested. Uh, and bottom line is, uh, if they were drug smugglers, uh, they, uh, they either have been or will be arrested, and they're going to be prosecuted. Uh, and so it, it, it shows something that the public needs to understand, and that is the people who are coming across the border, uh, they are not the, the benign migrant worker who wants to come uh, work in the agricultural fields uh, just coming from Mexico. We've got people coming from more than 150 different countries across the globe, uh, everyone or almost everyone uh, getting across the border uh, with the assistance uh, of the drug cartels. Uh, and, and many of whom are carrying drugs uh, like these individuals uh, that the National Guard member was trying to save. Uh, and so it's an extraordinary problem. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't want to prolong this answer too long, Guy, but the, the, the fact of the matter is many of the drugs coming across the border are these fentanyl drugs that are deadly mm-hmm. dangerous that are killing people across the country. In Harris County, which is where Houston is located, uh, there's been reported uh, at least one person dying per day. Uh, because of fentanyl uh, that's made in China and uh, imported uh, illegally across the border from Mexico. And so this is extraordinarily dangerous what the cartels are doing uh, along our border with regard to importing uh, deadly drugs like fentanyl into the United States. And you made reference to this just a moment ago in our conversation. Specialist Evans really shouldn't have had to have been at the border deployed as part of Operation Lone Star. Operation Lone Star shouldn't have to exist at all. The federal government should be doing its job in a way that they are not. So he was put in this position by those failures. Is it too harsh to say that the Biden administration at least shoulders some responsibility for this young man's death? 100% correct. So uh, Texas is, is coming out of pocket from our taxpayers uh, almost $4 billion to pay for things like uh, Operation Lone Star, to pay for the National Guard who are on the border, to pay for the DPS officers on the border, to pay for the, the border wall uh, that, that Texas is building, uh, to pay for the, the boat blockades we're putting up. And uh, maybe where you're located, you're seeing some of the razor wire that we put mile after mile. Yeah, I saw that today. Razor wire up. Yeah, and, and so when, 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 when people come across the border and they make it all the way to our border and they reach that razor wire, they realize they can't get through that. And so they have to go upstream to a different location uh, where they can be um, more easily apprehended uh, and we can better control the border that way. Uh, but all these different things we're doing are a direct consequence of the Biden administration's failures. I mean, there's an easy way to fully explain this, and, and that is we, we didn't have to do this. 
under the Trump administration because the Trump, Trump administration put four policies into place that led to the lowest border crossings we've had in decades, and that was Title 42, the Remain in Mexico policy, the end of catch and release, and the building the border wall, as well as sending the messaging uh, not to come across the border. Uh, well, Joe Biden came in, and he eliminated all of those things uh, that President Trump had done, uh, and immediately he sent a message to the entire world that the, the border of the United States is open, and guess what? Uh, the, the world heard it, uh, and the world responded uh, by coming to our southern border. All of this yeah, and the, is a direct and con- consequence of the Biden administration opening up our borders. And the last piece of that puzzle of those big four that you mentioned is Title 42. That's the last one still in place, and it's sort of being – slowly phased out already and they're saying it's going to be gone as of may 23rd that's you know less than a month from right now we were down by the river by that razor wire that you were talking about one of the commanders told us you know he he raised it on his own he said since the title 42 announcement that they were going to get rid of that policy he has noticed a clear increase in the traffic coming across he said this information absolutely sort of seeps into Mexico and then down into Central America. The word gets out that it's going to be easier to come and easier certainly to stay once Title 42 is gone. And even a lot of Democrats, I think, are now panicking about the political implications of this. They're saying, you know, hold off. Maybe, maybe this shouldn't happen, this change. But someone who doesn't believe that, Governor, is your opponent in this gubernatorial election coming up in Texas in November, Beto O'Rourke was just on MSNBC the other day in an interview with Jonathan Capehart. This was Beto O'Rourke on this very issue. Cut 20. Listen to this. You don't think it's a good idea for the Biden administration to end Title 42. Why? No, I, I think it's time to end Title 42. Okay. I don't think we should have ever implemented it. It's a very cynical reading of U.S. law. So better or work, your opponent, who wants to be the governor of this state, believes that not only is it now time to get rid of Title 42, he agrees with Biden on that. He disagrees with some of these Democrats who are saying, well, let's hold up here. He went further than that, Governor. He said that Title 42, even during the teeth of the pandemic, this public health tool should never have been implemented in the first place. My full interview with Texas Governor Greg Abbott, my full interview with Texas Senator Ted Cruz, and the entirety of today's program, available, as always, free of charge, on demand, GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcasts.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, it's the home stretch. Producer Christine is not with me here in Texas, but boy, she has questions, and she's been saving them up. I will do my best to field them right after this. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. Home stretch on the Guy Benson Show. We are in Del Rio, Texas, Base Camp Alpha, here with Operation Lone Star, and we are heading to McAllen tonight. We'll be doing the show from that city tomorrow. Benson at the border here with my team at townhall.com. Katie Pavlich was here earlier, Julio Rosas as well. Uh, They've both been down here. Katie in Arizona, Julio many times on both sides of this border doing his reporting. I have never been on a reporting trip, as I said at the top of the show. I've been to a border city, El Paso. That was for a college football game, so it doesn't really count. Not the same context. And it has been definitely instructive. 
and extremely frustrating. But I'm also grateful to have this opportunity. I think it will enhance my ability moving forward to talk about these issues more intelligently, having seen some of this stuff for myself. And we're very grateful to the state of Texas for including us down here and giving us so much access. And we've talked on and off throughout the show about the experiences thus far. But I know producer Christine always has more questions. And so we bring in now Curious Christine here on the home stretch. Christine, I know that you wish you were down here with us, and we all do too, trust me. But from New York, what are your curiosities? Is that really true you wish I was down there? You know, I'm in a good mood, and I'm going to say yes. Would you have let me? I can't me, speak for everyone. Would you I can't have let speak me go everyone. on any of the uh, ex, like the trip with you? Like some of these, like excursions. Mm-hmm. I don't think you are cut out for some of this stuff. What? Just sort of like a panicky person. <laughs> um, like I feel like there would be just like a, even a slight hint of tension, mm-hmm. and you would just be like out of your mind. You'd go like running into the brush and get bitten by a rattlesnake or something. It just it, it's not your scene. <laughs> You know I'm your producer, right? Like your head producer. I know. <laughs> you have to think about that every day, don't you? <laughs> uh, so what about the travel just to get where you are? I know uh, the mask mandate on planes has been lifted. Yeah. What yes. was that like? Was that the first time you actually flew without having to wear a mask for the past two years? Yeah, that was the first time that I flew unmasked. For a very long time. I was actually thinking there's a chance. I'm trying to even remember. You recall when I went with Robert O'Brien to France in the middle of the pandemic? Like, I believe right around Bastille Day in July 2020. I went with him representing the Trump administration. I was there, of course, with part of the press corps, the traveling press corps. I don't remember if we had to wear masks on those flights at that time. Maybe. I can't really remember if they enforced it too much but overall i think it's a safe bet to say certainly on a commercial flight i have not been free-faced in quite a long time and that changed yesterday i mean i was in new york doing the show doing a bunch of tv stuff as everyone recalls from last week stayed saw some friends and then crack of dawn flew from newark to dallas then dallas down here to del rio And I would say it was about two-thirds of the people on the flights were unmasked. And almost all the flight crews were unmasked. And same deal, roughly, I would say, in the airports. And they just made announcements saying, you don't have to do it anymore. It is not required. But please be respectful of other travelers' decisions. And I did not see anyone hassling anyone else. Like, I had... On one flight, a woman next to me who was unmasked like me. On the next flight, the guy next to me was wearing a mask. No one really said a word. It was delightfully normal. Like, there were just times on the flight where I would remember that I wasn't wearing a mask, and it was, and I have to admit, like, I smiled. I was just happy to have that ability again because it it had been a while, and that was something that you were weirdly getting used to, and it wasn't something that I really wanted to get used to. So, yeah, got down here. Uh, afternoon on Sunday, checked into the hotel, sort of got situated, met up with the town hall team, and then it was, you know, off to night ops, which we talked about in the opening monologue here today. Was it hard to get place to place, or? 
Oh, no, because, I mean, they've got a whole team here. A lot of the vehicles are actually rented and out-of-state plates because they needed to surge so many resources down here. But they've been taking us point A to point B. They've been absolutely fantastic. They often will put people in the trucks with us who have an area of expertise about where we're headed, what we're doing, so we can sort of pick their brain along the way. So that's been extremely helpful. And then this evening, so knock on wood, we're hoping that we're going to be flying on a military aircraft to McAllen, which would save us a lot of time. It's been pretty rough weather here. They had a big rainstorm, which they apparently never have. I guess I brought the rain with me or something. So if we are cleared to fly, that will be where we're heading right now after the show over to McAllen. If not, we will be driving, and that will be not a short drive. That will be five, six hours, something like that. So I'm rooting to be airborne in a matter of minutes. Hopefully, we'll see. Got to get to McAllen one way or another. I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. For a five-hour car ride, are you going to play music for the guys? What, what do you do? Do you just talk to them? Do you just work? Because I would feel like I would have to make conversation with everybody in that car for the five hours. Well, I could be totally obnoxious and say, since we're in the car for five hours, I insist that we all listen to the podcast of The Guy Benson Show in its entirety. <laughs> I think that would make me very popular with everyone, don't you? I, I do. I do. <laughs> No, and we'll probably stop somewhere along the way for dinner. I've never had Whataburger in my life, which is a big oh, thing down here. so good. I know. And so it's like, you know, when in California you do In-N-Out, Whataburger is the thing that you do down here. So I'm, I, that's on my list while I'm here. Also, Katie made the point, she should probably get some Mexican food while we're here. It's going to be a lot better than D.C. Mexican food. Let's face it. 100%. And my last question is not necessarily about your trip to the border. It's about your trip next week which coincides with my trip, Hmm. the same exact destination. (laughs) Have you thought any more about the possibility of you and I, you know, having a best friend date out there? No, because I'd actually repressed that entire thought that we're going to both be in L.A. at the same time. And I have this recurring concern that you're going to track me down somehow in L.A. And against... My wishes, and despite my best efforts, we're going to end up at some sort of dinner together. And I just think a healthy professional boundary is good. You're on vacation. You don't want to see you know, your colleague there necessarily on vacation. I think just we can – it's a big city. It's a big place. We can each go our separate ways. And, and then how about this? We can exchange notes about it afterwards. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> that is the takeaway. Oh, that's the takeaway from producer Christine. Always the optimist, except when she's not. I think you would have been freaking out last night, Christine. Really? You you really truly think? Were you nervous at all yourself? I mean, probably when we were speeding from place to place in these cars, and I do mean speeding. I don't think I've ever been in cars traveling that fast ever. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, when I was describing it earlier, like, that was not an exaggeration. It was, like, that speedometer or odometer, whatever you call it, is, like, definitely hitting three figures. Oh, wow. I don't think yeah. I've ever hit three figures. That actually surprises me because <laughs> you've got a bit of a lead foot is my <laughs> understanding. I do. Yes? I do. Yeah. So, but these were professionals is the difference. These were professionals, so I trusted them. Producer Christine pedaled to the metal, and I'm, like, gripping – the side of my seat and praying it's a very different situation all right we're going to try to get to mccallan by air if not by car 
one way or another, we're going to get there for the show tomorrow. We'll be out on the river in the boats tomorrow, which will be very interesting. Hopefully, pray for me. I don't do well on boats, but uh, I'll make it work. And then back here, same time, same place, 3 to 6 Eastern time from the Lone Star State, embedded with Operation Lone Star here with the Texas National Guard, the Department of Public Safety. I mean, it's been already an incredible experience and opportunity, and it continues with our coverage on tomorrow's edition of The Guy Benson Show. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you then. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.